0: On Gulhani on Politics this week, spite the SNP and its civil war.
1: Apparently, the First Minister couldn't bear to watch this week's SNP leaders debate, uh, but her ears must have been burning as the candidates torched the SNP's record uh, in government.
0: Bite, NHS dentistry is in crisis.
1: There
2: are soaring costs affecting the running of these practices at the moment, and that really does risk closures or movement towards private provision.
0: And tight, Scotland's ever-expanding waistlines.
3: We have seen rates of overweight and obesity rise over the years. Um, And that has left us in the position now where two and three adults um, are living with obesity or overweight in Scotland.
0: Hello, I'm Dr Sandish Gulbhani, and welcome to series four of Gulbhani on politics. Well. They say a week is a long time in politics, far less, two or even three. Since our last series, Nicola Sturgeon has resigned as SNP party leader. A three-horse race campaign is underway for SNP members to elect a new leader. And the SNP faithful are now reduced to tearing lumps out of each other. Leadership candidate Kate Forbes, the finance minister, the current finance minister, equates her cabinet colleague, Health Minister Humza Youssef, as mediocre, adding she would roll back some of Nicola Sturgeon's flagship policies, possibly would have him in her government, but not in the role of health. Humza, the SNP's hierarchy's preferred candidate, or Mr Continuity, well, Humza shows contempt for Kate and her faith, as she is a member of the Socially Conservative Free Church of Scotland. And that leaves candidate number three, Ash Reagan, who says the SNP has lost its way. Not exactly a robust endorsement of Nicola Sturgeon. At First Minister's questions in the Scottish Parliament, the Scottish Conservatives leader Douglas Ross was quick to rub it in.
1: Apparently, the First Minister couldn't bear to watch this week's SNP leaders' debate, uh, but her ears must have been burning as the candidates torched the SNP's record uh, in government. So let me be helpful to Nicola Sturgeon as I tried to do an update her on what was said. Her Finance Secretary, Kate Forbes, said this about Scotland The trains never run on time, the police service is stretched to breaking point, there's record high waiting times. In the NHS. Does the First Minister applaud, as we do on this side of the chamber, her Finance Secretary's honest assessment of this SNP's record in government? <laughs> Last week, Last week, I said there seems to be two Kate Forbes. One with a terrible record in government, and one who says this government has a terrible record. Mm-hmm. But now the Finance Secretary is in an even bigger guddle. She can't decide if she's in government or she's in opposition. Just listen to that statement from Kate Forbes. Again, the current finance secretary said that the current SNP government leaves trains that never run on time, the police service stretched to breaking point and record high waiting times in our NHS. That's a quote sorted for every Scottish Conservative leaflet going forward. Uh, And there's even more material that we can use. Kate Forbes said, more of the same is not a manifesto, it's an acceptance mediocrity. The First Minister might expect to hear that from me, but did she really expect to hear that from her own finance secretary?
0: Aside from this, and knowing who will next lead the SNP and become First Minister, there is another question on everyone's mind. Why did Nicola Sturgeon resign so suddenly? I reflected on this at a recent conference of the Scottish Conservative West of Scotland region. And it was a real surprise wasn't it in a hastily arranged press conference first minister Nicola sturgeon announced she was stepping down mm. Mm. Um, <laughs> on a random wednesday in half term why now seriously why well there are theories but i guess we'll just need to wait and see and i think we might well see and get a good look at Nicola and Peter's dirty laundry, though perish the thought. (laughs) For now, the good news is that she's going. And we, along with the press, are finally laughing at the SNP. And in doing so, Nicola has triggered the Scottish National Party's first leadership contest in nearly 20 years, throwing her loyal band of MSPs and party faithful into turmoil. For Scottish Conservatives, we will continue to highlight the SNP led government's poor record of delivery on its policy promises while we develop our own plans aimed at boosting the economy, job creation, and strengthening public services like our country's all important NHS. Throughout Scotland, our national and local governments must get behind innovators and wealth creators. This is how we'll supercharge our economy, which in turn will pay for quality public services like health and social care. That service all. The task is huge though. Nicola Sturgeon made the first big mistake on SNP stewardship a decade ago when she cut as health secretary the NHS budget and slashed nursing numbers. Things then went from bad to worse. Waiting time targets missed, poor workforce planning Record numbers of patients stuck in hospital, unable to leave because there's no follow-on social care. And then came hapless Humza, useless Yusuf. <laughs> After 15 years of SNP control, NHS Scotland healthcare is truly in crisis. Under Humza Yusuf, our NHS is on its knees, facing a perpetual winter with queues for A&E and backlogs for cancer treatment at their worst ever levels. So let's look at some of Humza Yousaf's key performance indicators for the past year. In November 22, just 67% of patients were seen in A&E within four hours. Remember the target is 95%. The situation is so bad that in January last year, a patient waited more than three and a half days to be seen in A&E. And now we have major hospitals across Scotland that are so overwhelmed, they have paused non-urgent elective operations. What does that mean for you? Well, if you are one of those people that needs a knee operation or a hip operation or something which means that you can get on with your life, you're not going to get it. On the 27th of March, the SNP membership will decide on its new leader and Scotland's next First Minister. For now, we can just sit back and watch the SNP in civil war and prepare to continue taking them to task. Whoever ends up in our sights at First Minister's Question or, in my case, has the Health Secretary's job when the dust settles. The British Dental Association says NHS Dentistry in Scotland is in crisis. And this is on the SNP government's watch. In fact, actually on Humza Youssef's watch. And yet, the health secretary, he who wants to be first minister, remember Mr Continuity, well, Humza thinks he's doing a great job. So what's the real picture? I caught up with Charlotte Waite, director of the BDA, to find out more about dentistry on the front line.
2: So the dental sector in Scotland is certainly still recovering from the impact of the pandemic. And the backlogs of dental need, which that's created. I'd like to say that dentists and dental teams are working incredibly hard to deliver dental care for people in Scotland. Um, And this is against the backdrop of spiralling costs affecting their businesses. Um, Most of NHS dentistry in Scotland is delivered by independent contractors um, who are self-employed general dental practitioners or what people would call high street dentists. Now, the BDA has warned that a return to a business as usual model of low margin and high volume will put these dental practices under unsustainable financial pressure because there are soaring costs affecting the running of these practices at the moment. And that really does risk closures or movement towards private provision. So there is no doubt that data demonstrates that NHS dental activity Um, which is being delivered by NHS Dental Services, has not reached pre-pandemic levels yet. Um, And the reasons for that are pretty complicated. Um, It's impacted by workforce. It's impacted by recruitment and retention. That's certainly one factor. Um, Particularly in rural and remote areas, it's difficult to recruit dentists and it can be more challenging. Um, And there's also reports of patients presenting with higher levels of need. And perhaps that's not surprising against the backdrop of an access problem. Um, And there was also initiatives which were affected by lockdown. So things like fluoride varnish applications and supervised toothbrushing programmes, which um, took place in our schools and nurseries. So there's certainly a clear intention from Scottish Government that NHS dentistry in Scotland needs to be remunerated appropriately and that there needs to be some reform. Um, The other thing to say is that there is lifelong registration for our patients in Scotland. And data from September last year says that that's up around 95%. But the really significant part of that is the participation rate. So that's the number of patients that were seen within the last two years. Now, those numbers are only around about 50%. So 50% of the population are actually being seen within two years. Um, and, and, and that's certainly significant. Um, and particularly in relation to patients from least. And most deprived areas, that gap in participation is even higher, which means, unfortunately, health inequalities are are worsening um, in relation to, to to dentistry and participation rates.
0: So, just on what you said, there's a couple of things I'm very keen to just pick up on. So, high volume, high turnover. Um, For for people listening who don't know what that means, could you just explain that a little bit more?
2: So there are allowances that the dentist gets from the NHS to deliver care. And there are also fees allocated to items of service that people deliver. So um, if you do um, a small filling, it costs a certain amount of money that you're given for a fee or a larger filling gives you a little bit more. But um, the model and the amount that you're remunerated for these items, um it is not enough to be able to sustain practices in, in the current climate. And indeed some of these fees actually mean that that um they're being delivered at a loss. So certain elements of these fees, some of which involve using laboratory costs, so around things like denture repairs or making dentures, by the time you factor in those laboratory costs as well, the NHS fee for it just simply doesn't cover it. So dentists were having to work very, very, very quickly to do lots and lots of these treatments quickly in, in order for there to be enough funding to sustain their practices and their business models. And that's just becoming unsustainable in some cases now.
0: I don't particularly want my dentist to be working very quickly. I want my dentist to be looking after my general oral health.
2: Absolutely. And that's what we hear from our from our members and from dentists across Scotland all the time, is that they want to provide high quality dental care for patients, um, holistic care that's patient centred and preventatively focused. Um, and absolutely, that's what these dentists want to be providing. And there is an opportunity here if Scottish Government amend the fees and amend the way that um, the fees are allocated, that there's more of an opportunity to make the future fee structure more preventatively orientated so that dentists are paid better to deliver that preventative approach. So there's an opportunity here, if the resource and funding is fair, that, that we can improve the situation for our patients and for our dentists.
0: Talk me through some of your top tips for prevention.
2: OK, so um, I think for for those people who are parents, it's about introducing good habits early. Um, as soon as that first tooth uh, comes through on a, on a child is getting the toothbrush in there and, and start brushing. And sometimes people don't realize that they need to do that for young children. Um, it's about, again, with young children. And I appreciate when we're against the backdrop of access being a problem. But getting them to the dentist from an early age when those first teeth come through, get them along to the dentist so they get used to it undoubtedly brushing twice a day with fluoride toothpaste is extremely important um, it doesn't have to be morning and nighttime, but twice a day is what we want people to be doing um, and also then the other significant part is, um, is your diet um, and um, limiting sugary foods just to meal times if you possibly can trying to stick away from the sugary stuff in between meals obviously being really careful with drinks that contain sugar as well So they're the kind of, it's the brushing, it's the diet, it's about getting to to see your dentist regularly. And obviously, that's the same that goes for adults too. We want people to be seeing a dentist at an appropriate time for them. Um, And actually, that fits into some of the fee discussion as well, because not every patient needs to be seen every six months. Um, Within the new coding, hopefully, there will be um, an element of risk assessing the patient, looking at their risk factors. So, do they have a history of dental disease? Um, are they able to brush their teeth? Do they need help? Um, do they have? Um, do they smoke? Do they drink alcohol? All these kind of factors to to decide what their risk is. And you will see some patients more often, and other patients who are slightly lower risk for dental problems, you'll see less often. And that's a good thing because then that gives more access within within the system.
0: What I'm hearing a lot from dentists, but also from patients, is that they're really having difficulty in accessing their dentists. So how has the size of Scotland's workforce potentially changed, which has made an impact upon upon this?
2: Actually, when we look at workforce data over the last five years, the number of dentists um, delivering NHS care has remained quite stable. It's reduced by a very small amount. But what that workforce doesn't really reveal is how much activity these dentists are doing in relation to the NHS or private, because most dentists in Scotland do a mixture of both of those types of care. And also, it doesn't reveal whether these dentists are working full time or part time. Um, And it's really driving into that that will give us a better handle on that. But what we certainly know is that the activity and the amount of NHS dentistry being delivered has not got back up to pre-pandemic levels. So there is less NHS dentistry being provided at the moment than there was previously. Now, there are many different reasons why that might be. Um, Certainly one factor in that may be that there are patients presenting with more disease burden now, people who um, need actually more treatment and it takes them longer to get through their treatment plans. Um, So, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly an issue.
0: But there's this perception out there that all dentists are very rich. Um, so can you give us a flavour for you know some of the revenues that are paid, and you know what 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 is average in Scotland?
2: For example, if you want to take um, a single tooth extraction, so that's the removal of one tooth um, at the dentist, the NHS fee for that is ten pounds fifteen pence. Um, now for full dentures, so a top and lower set of false teeth. That's 223 pounds 40. In relation to the dentures, you might be seeing that patient four or five times, four or five appointments to be able to complete all that treatment. You might see them even more than that. There's a laboratory fee, so the person who who makes the dentures for you will need to be paid, and then there's the expenses of running the practice that need to come out from that fee, um, and then you um, pay tax on top of that. So, so by the time you factor in All those costs, the the take home for some of these items is is almost nothing. And indeed, some dentists are telling us that certain items, they're actually running at a loss. And indeed, when you have a mixed practice where there's private and NHS, there may be an argument to say that some of the NHS provision at that practice is, is propping up the ability to deliver the NHS care how are
0: negotiations going uh, and when do you expect to to have this revised statement of dental remuneration
2: so just to give you a little bit of background what's been happening is there is a big list of codes fees are attached to how NHS dental services are remunerated paid for in Scotland and there's hundreds of codes actually um, and during the summer there was a process where there was engagement by the chief dental officer with the dental profession and they looked to reduce those fees down um, and, and I think that was that was welcomed by the profession they wanted a less complicated uh, more preventatively focused less administratively burdensome Um, set of fees to be working within and the other ambition is that there would be new costings allocated to this new list. So the the list of fees now exists. Um, We have been invited as the British Dental Association, as the trade union to negotiate those fees and we are waiting for the government to bring forward costings so that those negotiations and discussions can start to take place. My understanding is that there is a commitment to have the new fees allocated By April this year, that's not very far away.
0: You're you're negotiating currently, and it's uh, our Cabinet Secretary for Health, Humza Yusuf, who is standing to be First Minister. Um, So are you looking forward to continuing this with him as Cabinet Secretary for Health or maybe even as First Minister?
2: Oh, of course, Sanzesh. Um, the BDA will will work constructively with with anyone, with the new cabinet secretary, with the existing cabinet secretary, w- with anyone in Scottish uh, government who we need to negotiate with. We're, we're more than happy to do that. Um, we just want to be able to negotiate the the best possible outcome for the dental profession um, in Scotland and work constructively to achieve that.
0: And then, who who do you think will win?
2: I can't say that, Sandesh.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I can only ask.
2: I just watch watch and wait like everybody else. (laughs)
0: Keeping her powder dry, that was Charlotte Waite, Director of the British Dental Association Scotland. From mouths to waistlines, modern life, modern diet, and for many, inactivity. This can result in obesity, and in Scotland the rate of obesity is seriously impacting the country's health. So what can we do about this? To look for answers, I met up with Lorraine Tullock of Obesity Action Scotland, and we started by weighing up the true scale of the problem.
3: The clinical definition of it is when your BMI is above 30 and that's because of the imbalance in your body between the energy that you're taking in and the energy that you are expending. Um, But what we have found in in Scotland is that we have seen rates of overweight and obesity rise over the years um, and that has left us in the position now where two and three adults um, are living with obesity or overweight in Scotland and it's really the reason the issue is so important is because it impacts on our health and our health is really important to us all individually um, and it's important to us as a nation because we all care about um, our neighbours our, our family our friends their health um, and we want to make sure we can create the healthiest Scotland possible by um, creating a population that has a healthy weight
0: okay. and, and so just to be clear so BMI it's yes. a calculation using height using but, weight yeah. and actually on Google there's hundreds of ways of finding it. So if anyone wants to know their BMI, just go into Google, put BMI in and you can work out your own BMI. Yes. Now, is Scotland overweight?
3: Yes. So we're in a position now where two and three adults
0: in Scotland are overweight or obese.
3: So we So
0: just to be clear, you said two and three.
3: Two and three adults. Yep. Yeah. Um and so yeah, it's um it's a challenge that we face in scotland but it's not unique to scotland it's something that um, is also a challenge in the rest of the uk and worldwide we're seeing rates of overweight and obesity rise or remain stubbornly high um, and and again related to what i said earlier it's, it's related it's important to our health we want everyone to be as healthy so we want everybody to um, have the equal opportunity to be a
0: healthy weight in scotland okay and two and three adults but yep. what about children
3: and um, so yeah, we also face um a, a challenge with the children in Scotland. Um at the moment um we child's health is really important obviously because we want our children to have the healthiest start to their life they possibly can. And at the moment we're in a situation where in an average primary one class of 24 children, around six of them are of a higher weight, so are at risk of overweight or obesity. And the, the, the government recognised the importance of um, healthy childhood weight and as a result of that, in 2018, they introduced an aim to half childhood obesity by 2030. And that should mean that we get obesity rates in Scotland down to 7% if we were to meet that aim. However, what we have found is that recently um, rates are rising. So pre-pandemic, we were sitting at around um, 16% and that was in 2019. And the very latest figures from the Scottish health survey tell us that children's um, obesity is at 18%. So um, that uh, we don't know yet whether that's the impact of the pandemic or even it could be the impact of the collection of data uh, and how we've collected data due to the pandemic. But what we can say is that we're going in the wrong direction. Um, we are not, uh, we're not heading towards the uh, the aim that's been set and it's going to take us some really bold action to turn this around.
0: So I've got a very simple one-word question for you which Mm -hmm. no doubt is extremely complex to answer. Why?
3: Yeah, so obesity is a very complex issue and our weight is influenced by lots of factors and that's everything from our biology, our psychology, societal influences, the food we consume, the physical activity we take, and the environments that influence what levels uh, of physical activity we take and what food we eat. So in Scotland specifically, we know that one of the major drivers is our poor diet. So we have dietary goals as a nation, and we've been missing them for over 20 years. We need to shift our diet away from those foods that are high in sugar, high in calories and fat. And we need to increase our intake of fiber, fruit and veg because we don't eat enough of that. And that diet is very heavily influenced by the environments that are around us. And we've, over the last few decades, we've created environments that are really awash with unhealthy foods, unhealthy food advertising, special offers on those unhealthy foods. And there's only really been a kind of trickle of healthy foods getting through. And we need to change that and we can change that. There's lots of things we can do to change that, but we need to make sure we are aiming to improve our health by ensuring everyone can get access, and easy access to affordable healthy food.
0: But one of the things that you said was fiber. And as a GP, lots of people come to me and they say, well, what's fiber? And I suppose the best way of describing fiber is it's roughage. And within the diet, it's something that your body actually can't process. But what that means is it forms good stool. It also means that you feel fuller for longer. And if you feel fuller for longer, it means you're less likely to snap. And is that a good thing?
3: So, yes. So we we know we don't eat enough fibre in Scotland. And we know from the diet goals, we're not achieving the fibre intake we should. And you've outlined the reasons why it's important in the diet. And we need to shift towards that. And that would create what you're talking about yes it would make us feel fuller. it's also a healthier part of the diet and just now we're consuming too much food that is high in calories sugar and fat but has no other nutritional value so it doesn't contain fiber it d- doesn't have any other nutritional value and there are things like confectionery and cakes and pastries and sugar sweetened beverages things that uh, there is no other nutritional value in them
0: i think a lot of people are listening going but they're my favorites so what would you say to them?
3: So, um, yeah, we know that that's why you know I mean, we've been missing our dietary targets for so long as a nation because we have um, been eating a lot of these types of foods and we need to um, slowly move away from that and we need to find ways of moving away from that. And a lot of the reasons why we eat those foods is because they're heavily marketed to us, heavily promoted to us. When we go into the shops, the first thing we see in a supermarket is a wall of whatever the Christmas chocolates or Easter eggs or chocolates on special offer. It's the first thing that's brought to our attention and therefore we know from the evidence that that leads us to put things in our shopping basket that we didn't intend to oh. and impulse buy things. So we need to create those environments that encourage us, enable us to put this the spotlight on healthy items and put those items in our shopping basket.
0: I mean, the thing I always say to my patients is they're meant to be treats. They're meant to be the thing that you get every so often to go with your balanced diet. So you absolutely have a cake or a piece of chocolate or that fizzy drink, but it's not an integral part of your daily diet. Tell me about what happens right now in supermarkets with special offers and what you think we should do.
3: So we know just now that special offers influence what goes in our shopping basket. And we know that at the moment they encourage us to purchase about 18% more than we normally would. And they also are skewed towards the unhealthy items. Okay, That's the way that they, they operate. You see end of aisle promotions, you see buy one get one free, and um, temporary price reductions. And the majority of these are on these unhealthier foods, discretionary foods that we, that are nice, a treat, but we don't need to have in our diet as frequently as we currently have them. So we want to see that shift within the retail and out-of-home environment. We want to see um, the, a restriction on those types of offers and the location of these foods in order to allow um, other healthier foods to fill those special offers. And we know that that's something that the public support. We know that 87% of people in Scotland who were asked support a policy that would see special offers and promotions only being applied to healthy foods and essentials. So we know that 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 is something that is is widely supported by the public. And we also know that um, these special offers, they're not always giving you the great deal that you think they are. Um, And there has been some research done that tells us that they encourage impulse buys, things we didn't plan to put in our shopping trolley and can sometimes therefore encourage us to spend more and the money advice service actually estimate that about one we spend about one thousand three hundred pounds more a year than we actually planned to because we put these unhealthy special offers in our trolleys
0: you talk about eating more the thing that i'm always passionate about is portion control what's happened to our portions
3: so um yeah we know that over the years portions have grown and um, especially in the out-of-home sector. Um, that's when we eat something that's ready to eat immediately kind of outside the home. So that's cafes, restaurants, takeaways, quick service restaurants. So yeah, we know, especially in that sector, portions have grown substantially over the decades. And that does mean we're consuming more calories than we were before. And often we are not aware of how many calories we're consuming. So. Um, let me give you an example of a piece of work we did a few years ago, where we visited a number of chip shops um, in a street in Glasgow. And uh, they, when we looked at all the portions of chips that could be purchased um, and averaged it out, the average portion of chips was over 900 calories. Um, and that's just a, a portion of chips. So that
0: is something that we're Sorry, often... To put that into context. 900 calories, yep. the average adult has about 2,000-ish? Yes. The so that's Yes,
3: and that's just a bag of a portion of chips. and um, So, yeah, often we're not aware of exactly what these items contain and how many calories and what they are
0: therefore contributing to our daily intake. When you start talking about weight, people can become very upset about it. Do you think that we are normalising unhealthy weights or unhealthy ways of being here in Scotland?
3: So I think it is a really sensitive issue and it is a really complex issue for the reasons I described. There are so many things impacting on what causes us to be overweight or obese. Um, And what I would say is that weight stigma and bias are unacceptable. And unfortunately we know that people with obesity have suffered from um, that kind of stigmatization, criticism or um, even kind of verbal abuse uh, because of their obesity. And those kind of things are unacceptable because weight stigma does lead to negative mental and physical health consequences. So I think what uh, we should be focusing on is the complexity of the issue. The fact that it's driven by so many underlying factors from our biology to our food environment um, and, and increasing understanding of that complexity and therefore what the, what the responses are needed to help facilitate healthy weight for everyone.
0: Talking about weight and talking about how obesity has a negative impact on overall health, these are facts that we shouldn't be scared about talking about, surely?
3: So, yeah, we need to accept that um, obesity does have a negative impact on health, it does increase, we you know that it increases your risk of type 2 diabetes, of certain types of cancer, and that's why it's so important to tackle it. If we want to have a healthy population, if we want people in Scotland to um, be able to be active and healthy and contribute to the economy and do you know what I mean, and have a good healthy working life and have a good quality of life and also not have their life cut short, then yes, we need to be thinking about how we can ensure
0: more of the population at a healthy weight. Lorraine Tollock of Obesity Action Scotland, hoping to see change in Scotland for the better. Well, that's all from me on this week's Gulhani on politics. I hope you'll subscribe and tune in each week. For now, until next time, I'm Dr. Sanchi Gulhani. Bye for now, and thank you for listening.